Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. It really is wonderful to be with you this morning. And I really, really mean that. Because I was at Stansted Airport at 8 o'clock yesterday evening. And my wife was on the phone to me as I was sat in the car park telling me how the A14 was short, the A1 was short, the M1 was short. And I'm starting to wonder whether I'm going to get back here at all or... But just say I'm just staying at Stansted for the rest of the rest of the week, and and it was just it's amazing because this is just a sermon in that as well because I had no idea what what all the junctions were that were closed, and yet there was somebody on Google who got all the traffic updates, knew exactly what was going on, who was able to steer my path. Yeah, that's good. There's a sermon in there, isn't there? <laughs> it's not the sermon I'm going to give, but it's it's encouraging because that is exactly who God is for us. He is the one who has actually got the bigger picture, who sees all things and who steers our path. Sometimes around the storms, sometimes we've got to go through the storms, but God's still there with us. And I love that. And the reason that I was at Stansted Airport is because actually I also was on the mission field, not quite Iraq, it was Czech Republic. And yesterday afternoon I was doing a session on communication and culture. Interesting stuff. And, and uh, it was just a great time spending time with Czech leaders and sharing about how we need to be more effective in the way that we communicate the gospel to people who don't know it, in a way that is relevant, in a way that's appropriate. But actually, as I was thinking through that and as I was doing that, I started to realize, you know what? Sometimes we need to be more effective at how we communicate the gospel into our culture. But actually our culture is incredibly good at communicating its message to us. Without us even realising it. And some of the stuff that's already come out this morning, I'm basically just going to share in a different way all the things that have already been said this morning. Because this is the message that God wants. But the culture is so effective at sharing with us and imparting the values and the message that our culture wants us to have. To the extent that even though we're following Christ, even though we're seeking to serve him, some of that cultural stuff ends up in here. And, and it's only when we kind of draw close to God that we start to realise and see some of the things that we've actually got a hold of. And, and it was interesting because I was talking with Chris first thing this morning, just as I arrived. And we were just talking about football. It's the old cliche thing of football fans getting passionate and excited about football. Why don't we get as excited and passionate about Christ and about eternal things and things that are going to last forever rather than things like, hey, you know what? Two weeks ago, I'll raise this. It's dangerous. Sheffield United beat, beat Derby. It was awesome. I was there. It was just fantastic. But you know what? At that moment, it's an incredible experience. Yesterday, we lose to Norwich, and it's rubbish again. 
And that is kind of how we are. And yet we find sometimes that when the storms come, when the challenges come, we find that the place where we, where we experience our deepest meaning and desires is actually, they're all based in the wrong stuff. All in good stuff, perhaps, but in the wrong stuff. So it might be that your happiness comes from getting the latest, what is it, iPhone 8, 10 that's just coming out, and that is the, oh, that's what I want. And if I get that, I can be truly happy. For others, it's football. Others, it's, it's what your children are doing, or it's a promotion at work, isn't it? And you suddenly discover that when it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out, or when you've got your iPhone and then six months later it's no longer quite the latest thing because they brought another one out, then you suddenly find, actually, I don't have the deep joy and the peace that I should have. I had this little burst of happiness. It's like, it's like one of those sugar jolts that you get just for a few seconds. And yeah, you take sugar and it pumps you up for five seconds and then you back down again. And yet that is not the joy that it talks of in Galatians 5.22. That is not the peace that it talks of in Galatians 5.22. In those scriptures, that is talking about a joy and a peace that comes from God that passes all understanding, that is with us and sustains us even when everything seems to be going wrong, even when you're in the middle of the storm, you can still be fixed upon Jesus. You can still be happy. You can still have that joy in your life. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what it's about in Christ? I think so. And, and the thing is, in order to experience that joy, what I've discovered is that joy is tied up in God's will. It's tied up in obedience to God and drawing close to him. When we get close to God... We allow him to impart his values and his character into us. And we start to find that we walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. But in order to do that, sometimes we've got to sacrifice our comforts a little bit. We've got to step out of the boat. We've already heard it this morning, haven't we? We've got to take a step out of the boat and give up perhaps sometimes or give over to God our own personal hopes, our finances, our time, our energy, in short, our lives, giving them over to God, and then saying, God, use me. I'm an open vehicle to be used by you. And you know what? It's amazing. When we put God's kingdom first, it is amazing what he will do for us in meeting our needs. You see, our problem is sometimes what we're doing is we're looking at our needs and not God's kingdom. But actually, God is far better at meeting our needs than we are. So it's much better to leave it over to him and actually do what he has called us to do in Matthew 6.33, which is seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. And that is talking about all the things that we need and sometimes even the things we want as well. God finds a way to give it to us when we stop prioritizing it and start putting him first. And, you know, even the Lord's Prayer emphasizes this thought. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Which bit came first? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's first, then give us today our daily bread. What we do quite often is we go, our Father who art in heaven, give us our daily bread. 
Oh man. That's not what God's saying. He said, yes, ask for the things, the things that are in your life that you need, the storms you're going through. Pray through this and pray without ceasing. Absolutely. But put his kingdom first. Actually put his kingdom first because God already knows your needs beforehand. And in some ways, all of this is not my message. But I think it's important. I felt this morning it was important to share that. And in particularly in light of what has been said this morning, in light of what Ruby said regarding Iraq, that's the message of Christ. You know, that is people stepping out of the boat, going overseas, going to dangerous places, putting their trust completely in God and allowing him to do something amazing through them. And guess what? God turns up. Because that's what God does. But we actually have to position ourselves in such a way as to give God the opportunity to show up in our lives. And that is sometimes where we struggle. We don't actually position ourselves properly. So I'm going to share a little bit about Nehemiah this morning. But it's really, it's the same kind of message we're talking through. And what I really want to share this morning is about getting God's heart for yourself, capturing God's heart. What is it that God wants you to gain a burden for? What is it that God wants you to wrestle with in prayer and to actually take on board and understand in the same way that God understands it? So it becomes your passion and your focus so that God can work through you to do amazing things. What is that? You see, Nehemiah, let's just read it to start with. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I also want to read Nehemiah chapter 2 as well, verses 1 to 5. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. To interesting scriptures. See, Nehemiah was living about 150 years after the people of Judah had been exiled in the Babylon. Over the period of time, 
Babylon had been conquered by Medo-Persia, and these were the ruling kings. And these kings are fairly despotic in nature. So when we're talking about Nehemiah, he is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. It's a pretty privileged position. It means you get to taste the food and the wine from the king's table. That's fantastic, so long as someone isn't trying to kill the king, of course. It gets a little bit tricky at that point. But actually, he's, he's risen to a position where he's trusted, where he's respected, and where he's got a decent lifestyle. And, and that's a great thing for Nehemiah. And sometimes maybe that's the situation we have as well. We've, we've got a decent position, we're respected and we're trusted. And yet, in all of that, Nehemiah hears a message coming from Jerusalem. And the message is, Jerusalem lies in ruins. You see, at this time, they'd, they'd gone back, the temple's already been rebuilt. And 13 years previously... They'd gone back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the walls that were necessary in order to protect the city from attack and from their enemies. Great. They've heard the message from God. They've had a miracle take place. They've been released to go and build the walls these 13 years earlier. And yet, despite all of that, the walls weren't rebuilt. Problems came. Enemies came in. The project got stopped. And they weren't rebuilt. It's just the same as the storms, isn't it? We've heard God's voice. God has spoken to us. We've been told to get out on the water. We've been told to step out, keep our eyes on the Lord, and step out in faith. And sometimes when we do that, we expect that everything's going to be smooth. But it isn't always smooth. God hasn't told us, step out of the boat and I make everything smooth for you. God has said, step out of the boat because I have called you. Keep, my eye, keep your eyes on me because I'm going to do something through you and show my power. It didn't say everything's going to be smooth. And that was the case here at this time. So we've got 13 years. The walls are not rebuilt. Nehemiah is in a nice, comfortable position when he hears this from his brother Hanani, who comes in and said, this is the situation in Jerusalem. The guys who went back, it's not going well. The walls have been burned. Nothing's up. The gates are not working. It's all a bit of a disaster. And you know what? In that time, in the Medo-Persian Empire, the Jews who were doing well, do you know what many of them probably were doing? They were going, oh, that's sad. That's a bit disappointing. Oh, well, off to work. Maybe pray for him a little bit, but not to worry. I'm here. I'm fine. I'm comfortable. No problems. So I will go back to my work and maybe just have a little bit of a thought for them. That's maybe what many of the Jews were doing. But for Nehemiah, he took this on board deeply. He took it on board deeply. And, and he came before God and he said, God, look at this situation and he came in prayer and he said, Lord, will you not do something? And of course, that is the ultimate stepping out in faith prayer. Because when you ask God, will you not do something? Oh, somebody needs to go and organize this. Somebody needs to go and fix this. Guess who the person who will usually gets the opportunity to do that is? It's the person who made the prayer. You go. You go. So when you're praying those things... It is great to pray those prayers, but be prepared for you to be the answer to your own prayer. That's a challenge. You see, comfort's lovely. Comfort's excellent. 
We like that. But actually, in the spiritual, sometimes comfort is a big barrier. And I've discovered in my life that the moment I start getting comfortable, it's time for God to create some upheaval in my life. And, and when we pray these prayers, we have to step out in faith. And stepping out of faith, it sounds so spiritual, it sounds so great, it sounds so lovely, and it is when you're looking at somebody else. Isn't it? Oh, that's fantastic. Look at that lovely faith, everything. I can see that. You can look in the Bible and you can see, why didn't these guys not have faith? It's so obvious. Look at the way God brought them through. They should have seen it. They saw what happened in Exodus. It's pretty obvious God's going to move. And then you get called to step out in faith. And then it's a completely different story, isn't it? It's like, oh God, where are you, God? Oh, there's no way this situation can be changed. There's no way I can get through this. It's not going to work for me. And, and the thing is, is that we have to put our trust in God. I'm going to share something that happened at Hope Church because I'm opening up and saying, God, will you use me? Will you do something amazing? Will you increase my faith levels? And I did pray that. I prayed, Lord, increase my faith levels. Oh, oh, dear. Oh, what did I do? And what happened was I was preaching at uh, Hope Church in, I think it must have been February. And I got my message ready. It was all set. It was all prepared. Nicely ready to go. And I set off for church. And Hannah was doing Sunday school. So I went up to the church. All with my message. Good morning. Hello, Barry. Hello, how are you? Hannah's going through. And then as I was kind of pulling up to the church, something started stirring in my spirit. And I didn't like it. But it was God. Do you ever have that where God can stir your spirit and you don't actually like it? It's like, God, I want your presence. Oh, no, no, not now. Not in this way. That's not the way I saw your presence. And, and this is what God was starting to stir in my heart. It was, you can't preach that message. Yeah, but this is the one I've been working on and praying through and preparing. No, I can't preach that. This is 10 o'clock in the morning. My house at that time, we've moved since, but our house was... Uh, and, I, and believe me, I was starting to think very carefully about exactly how far it was. It's like seven minutes, I think. Seven minutes to go back home because I'm going to need another message. So seven minutes there, seven minutes back. That's quarter past ten. I don't have anything to share at all because I've just been told what I prepared. I'm not allowed to share. And it was like, oh, what do I do? I went home. It was like, computer, where's my computer? Switch on. Do I have a message in here somewhere? Better have a message. Let's look through. Went to the thing and God just went, you're preaching that one on faith. <laughs> and of course, that's great because that was a message I spoke like two years earlier. I've not prepared it. I've not looked at it. I've not done anything with it. It was print off, shoot back to the church, totally. In, and this wasn't about, I'm not saying this is what God does all the time when you're preaching. This was something that I had to journey through. If I'm going to preach, if I'm going to speak about a subject and God wanted me to speak on faith, God was going to put me in a situation where I had to trust in him because I had no idea what was written on my paper. My memory's dire. So I had no idea. And yet God stepped out and you know what? God moved in power that morning because that's what God does when you take a step of faith. The easiest thing for me to have done was just to preach the message I already had. That was the easy solution, but it wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't the message God wanted that morning. We have to step out in faith. And that may never happen to you, but when you step out in faith, that similar kind of pressure and challenge may well happen to you because that's how God works. But do you know what? When we put ourselves in that position, you can't take credit anymore because I'm vulnerable, I'm weak, can't do it anymore. 
God, it's up to you. You don't move. We have a train smash this morning. We have a total disaster. Nehemiah had a very comfortable situation. And yet, he took on the burden. And this is my first point this morning. Have a burden for others. Have a burden for others. First two verses in chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Jerusalem with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. Nehemiah was comfortable. People who had come back, his heart was for his people. He wanted to know what was going on. He was interested in their destiny. He was interested in their situation. And that is where we've got to be, where we're actually thinking above and beyond ourselves, where suddenly my needs and my focus is not the most important thing, but actually what God wants and the needs of others becomes our priority. And we look. And because Paul illustrates this fantastically well. Do you know what Paul says? He talks in 1 Corinthians 12, in 12, verses 12 to 31, about the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. We're all part of the body. Some of the, the mouthy bits. <laughs> Some people are little fingers and, and don't appear to be doing much. But actually, all of those body parts are absolutely significant. And what Paul says is that when there is rejoicing with one part of the body, we all rejoice with it. But when there is suffering, we should all be suffering with it. In other words, get in line, get a heartbeat in line with God's heartbeat, which is for the body of Christ, for the extension of his kingdom. So that when somebody's suffering in the kingdom, we take that on. That becomes a burden to us too, that we start to want to do something about it, that we sort of want to pray, that we come before God and say... and. And that we actually come alongside. We say, God, won't you move in this situation? But equally, when, say, I don't know, the church just down the road, whoever that is, suddenly sees they've got massive growth and we haven't. How do we respond? I'll tell you how I respond. Praise God. Because it's about the kingdom. It's not about any one church, any one pastor, any one situation. It is about the kingdom of God. So what I'm interested in is seeing the kingdom of God grow and advance. And if that means somewhere else is growing and we're not, that's okay. We'll look at what we need to do to try and help and encourage us to grow and expand. But actually, if people are coming into God's kingdom, that's great. We celebrate. It's the body of Christ. We're all one. We're all part of the same team. But we've got to get a heart for the things that are God's heart. And that is what Nehemiah was starting to take on board. You see, Nehemiah was prepared to leave the comfort zone. He was prepared to leave the comfort zone. But here's the thing. Even though he was prepared to leave the comfort zone, because this is the other thing that happens, just to clarify. We have one situation where actually we're not getting in line with God and we're not quite with him and we haven't got our hearts attuned and we're not really doing anything but then there's another side isn't there jump across here and the other side is oh that's what God wants to do I know what God wants this is God's heart I tell you what I'll go bombing out there and fix it as fast as possible without thinking without God's timing without preparation without any of that stuff and when I went through I've read these passages a lot of times 
But sometimes it's just one word in Scripture changes the understanding of what it actually means. The words in Scripture here are Kislev and Nisan. I have no idea what's going on with Jewish calendars, really. But I just looked, I saw Nisan and uh, Kislev. Okay, what on earth are they? Because verse... Uh, chapter 1, it says, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. So I went and looked and said, all right, when's Kislev? Okay, and Kislev, it turned out, was November, December time. And then in chapter 2, because it's saying, it goes on and, and Nehemiah is burdened and he's praying and he's wondering what's going to happen next and, and he's wanting God to do something. But then we get to chapter 2 and it says, in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that's March, April. That's four months later. So that changed my perception of this scripture from being one where God said something, oh, there's a burden here, we need to do something, go out there as fast as possible. Because sometimes, actually, in doing everything so quickly, we haven't really owned it. We haven't really captured God's heart. Nehemiah was wrestling with this for four months. How is this going to happen? How is this going to change? You see, the problem was that Nehemiah needed a miracle of God for the situation to change. He's a cupbearer to the king. I like to use illustrations sometimes with these old kings. It's helpful to use illustrations. Consider him to be cupbearer to the North Korean leader. That helps you understand. Okay. So here he is, and he needs to go back and take some people with him so that he can rebuild the walls. Now, can you imagine how the North Korean leader is going to likely respond to that request from the guy who's serving him? It's probably not going to go well. In the old times, you see, it says, actually, Nehemiah comes, and he has on the morning when he comes, and the king is there, and he's before the king, and it says, he had a sad face. This is a bad plan. This is a really bad plan. If you are coming in the king's presence, you do not have a sad face. You do not bring misery. Otherwise, it might be the last day you have the opportunity to do that. It's not what you do. And Nehemiah, it says he is scared. He is terrified because he knows he's bringing something to King Artaxerxes that King Artaxerxes most likely doesn't want to hear, has no interest in, and is going to get seriously upset about. He has to wait, despite this burden, the burden wrestles in his heart, it grows and grows for four months, he's seeking, he's praying, he's fasting, he's totally dedicated to this thing, and then, in God's timing, the moment comes when he can ask. And that, when we operate, when we get a burden for the things that burden God, and when we operate in his timing, and do what he is asking us to do, we create the opportunity for a miracle to take place. The miracle came, and Artaxerxes said, yeah, yeah, you can go. Thirdly, ask for discernment. You see, what I love about Nehemiah is the prayer that he prays, he prays in faith. He says, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. The covenant of love. What covenant did God give to the Israeli people? 
That was the Abrahamic covenant. That's Genesis 12. Let me help you with this a little bit, because that covenant says, amongst other things, is like, and you will inherit this land. This land is your land, and this is where you will grow, and this is where your descendants will be. Abraham's descendants will be in the land of Canaan. And where's Nehemiah? He's under somebody else's authority in a different location. So, what he is praying, he is praying, God, you are the God who keeps covenant, even though I don't appear to be seeing that at this moment. The circumstances don't seem to fit the idea that you are keeping covenant. But actually, God is keeping covenant because God said, if you sin, if you disobey, then you will be thrown out of the land. So God is keeping covenant, but Nehemiah reminds himself of this. He takes hold of it, and he says, I'm going to pray that. I'm going to remind myself of what, who God is and what he's done for us and believe that something is going to happen. Can we do that as well? Because God has given us promises. God has given us promises. In Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not come against it. It will not withstand it. That's the church that has been given a covenantal promise that the gates of Hades will not be able to withstand us as we go forward with the gospel. But you know what? We don't always think that, do we? We do. In terms of if anybody asks us and says, what do you think about this gates of Hades and the church expanding thing? Oh, and we'll give them the right answer. Yeah, 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 gates of Hades can't withstand us. We'll go forward. But actually, in the way that we live and the way that we think, when it comes to evangelizing, when it comes to connecting with community, when it comes to trying to win people for Jesus, we go, ooh, gates of Hades look pretty strong. This looks a bit too tough. God has said, he has given us a promise that it will not withstand the church going forward when we get in line with his word, when we are burdened for the lost in the way that Jesus is burdened for the lost, when we walk in his timing, identifying the opportunities, discerning what God is saying to us about what he wants us to do. So for the guys who went to Iraq, they discerned what God wanted them to do. You have been called... Go to Iraq. That's not a safe place to go. That's not an easy place to go. That's not comfortable. It's not like me going to check. That's comfortable. Iraq's tough. But they stepped out of the boat and they saw something of God and of God's heart for the lost whilst out there. And I don't need to be there to know that that would be the case. Because they went in his timing, discerned the situation as well. We need to discern what God is saying to us and there's only one way you can do that and it comes back to what Paul said earlier you've got to draw nearer to him wherever we are whatever level and place we're at in God we've got to get closer because we've got to hear his voice because if we don't hear his voice you don't discern what he's saying you've got to hear him first discern is the next phase you've got to hear him first and then hear what he is saying to me and how that applies to my life so that I can make a difference you see, I'm not even with this whole thing with Nehemiah. I'm not even talking about what happens when he goes and he starts building the walls and there's 52 days and spectacular things happen. This is just the bit where he gets the burden for it. 
It's all we're talking about this morning. It's the burden for it and that point between getting the burden for it and starting to go and seeing things happen. And fourthly, in closing, pray in repentance and pray with expectation. Pray in repentance. Why do I say that in relation to the book of Nehemiah? I said earlier, the walls had not been built. Why had the walls not been built? Was it to do with, with an organisational thing? Perhaps they needed more organisation. They needed somebody to lead the project and to get people to do what they needed to do. There would be some truth in that. But was that the major problem and the major reason why the walls were smashed? No. What was the major problem? Was it that they just didn't have enough people? Didn't have enough resources? Oh, we're building this wall and then just there wasn't any bricks or anything and we ran out, so we just stopped until we got some more bricks. Didn't We're building the wall, we've got lots of resources, just haven't got enough people. Is that the major problem? It's not the major problem. You know what the major problem was? The major problem was sin. The major problem was sin. That is what had cost Israel. That's why they had been kicked out of the land and therefore that was the prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He said, Lord, forgive Israel for the sin. Forgive Israel for what they have done. And what I love about this is he says, and forgive me and my family. Because we can very easily get into the whole thing of, oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray over Junction 28, forgive them for their sin, for they've made a right mess up of everything. Oh, God, just help them. I just wish they were like me. <laughs> we can do that and we, and we exonerate ourselves and we think, you know what? Oh, Nehemiah could have done that, looking at everyone and go, look at the sins of my forefathers. That's the reason I've ended up in Medo-Persia. My life is, is running the way it is and I'm not in the promised land. But no, he recognises that he too is a sinner and he too has things he has to work on. Lord, forgive us as a nation. Forgive me. Forgive everybody else. Father, may this, be, this day be a new start. May this day be a new start. And as he prays that, as he comes in that way, and as he remembers what God has done, he prays with expectation. God, you are going to do something. For us this morning, and I'm going to ask if the worship team can just come back up. This morning, as we reflect upon these things, how is your heart this morning? Are you aligned with God? Do the things that burden God burden you? Are you wanting to come into his presence and get to know him better so that he can use you and so that you are prepared to step out of the boat? That's really the word this morning. God wants people to step out of the boat. Stop living comfortable lives and start saying, God, you know what? I'm available. I know it could get difficult. I know it might be worrying, but I want to step out of the boat and I want to serve you, Jesus. I want your Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me and help me so that I can be, one, closer to you, Jesus, but two, more effective in serving.